0: Welcome to Across the Line. Today is a big one as we've got the Ascal's coach on the show today, Scott Cooper, on the program talking everything about the Philippine national team, what's in store, what to look forward to, and there's a lot. So Chris, what an episode uh, to get an opportunity to have Scott down here uh, for the first time, which is kind of a travesty, actually, that it's just his first time on Across the Line.
1: Yeah, we, we, we touched on it a little bit in the interview, the fact that he doesn't like to be in front of the camera or the microphone too often, but I think it was a great opportunity for the football public to get some insight into how he works, how he operates, how he thinks, um, you know, working alongside him, he has a really single-minded focus, you know, he's, he's all about winning Um you know, I, the last dance is something that everyone's on about at the moment with Michael Jordan and that winning mindset. You know, Scott's just, you know, really diligent and meticulous in his preparation. He's got very clear ideas on how the, the, the game should be played, how the team should operate. So I think it's a really nice opportunity for the for the Philippine football fans to get some of that insight, um, you know, directly from Scott himself.
0: Yeah, 100%, you know, and, and talking about what it takes to make it into the team now you know there's a a lot of talent that is at the disposal of scott and uh, of the philippine national team and the federation but you know it takes a particular set of skills and a particular mindset and character to be be, to be able to make it into the squad so he, he talks all about it on this show and we hope that you guys listen to it and enjoy it and if you do please do subscribe To our channel on YouTube, on Spotify, and on Apple Podcasts, and don't forget to check us out on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and on Instagram. And that is it. We're gonna get out of the way, and we're gonna hope that you guys uh, enjoy this conversation. Here it is, Scott Cooper of the Philippine national team. Welcome to Across the Line. We've got Asco's coach Scott Cooper with us today, and it's a lovely opportunity for us to catch up with the coach of the Philippine national team and to see. How things are going, perhaps diving a little bit into his past and the past experiences that he's enjoyed at the helm with the Azkals and uh, what to look forward to as well. How's it going, Scott?
2: Good, thank you. Good to be on. And uh, I've been watching your show and I admired some of the episodes, well, of all of them that I've seen. So, yeah, it's good to be on and catch you with some familiar faces.
0: Chris, how's it going?
1: Yeah, very good, very good, Jing. Uh, it was. Uh, a long time coming, really getting Scott on the show. He, he, he was never like a huge fan of, of interviews. That was one of the things when we first met. He's like, oh, I'm not a huge fan of interviews, but um he messaged me about a week or two ago and said, Oh you know I've been listening to some of the episodes and he said he'd been enjoying them. So I extended the invitation and he and he was happy to apply. So really, really great to get him on the show. And um yeah, hopefully we can go into a little bit about you know his current situation with, with the Azcals. I'm sure people are quite interested to um to find out what's, what's been going on.
0: I was quite fortunate enough to be able to speak to Scott when he first arrived, so that was what 2 years ago I believe it was and you know there's been a lot of excitement with how things have transpired over the last 2 years but I'm quite interested in right now are, you, are you, what kind of work if any are you getting done with the current pandemic that's that's upon us is there any work that you're capable of doing at the moment if so what are you working on?
2: Yeah, um I mean, there's always work you can do isn't it especially as a national team coach because you do have a lot of downtime when players are at the club so there's there's some natural work and planning you can do I guess this um pandemic stopped a little bit of a uh, momentum that we were starting to gather. Uh, I finally had the team in my own hands for five or six games which I'd not had before and we were starting to build on that And it, it, you know the pandemic came in and and we just had to stay positive. So what we've been doing is, you know, looking at developing the system, looking at other players that um, might qualify, that have got a desire to play, you know, looking at younger players and just looking at the overall plan and where we are in the group standings and and, and just kind of creating objectives and keeping busy that way in communication with players and staff and things.
0: Man, it's been quite a road since, since things started. Uh, I, I believe I met you at, the, at that hotel, at the launching of the new coaching staff. And uh, um, at the time, Terry Butcher was still uh, involved in the picture. And now you know um, things have transpired where you've now had an opportunity to settle into the Philippines and uh, to really get to know the squad that you have at your disposal and perhaps looking ahead as well to how you want to shape things. Uh, can you take us back to that beginning? To, to, to that first uh, few experiences that you had in, in the country?
2: Sure. Well, I first came in under, um, under uh, of course, Thomas Dooley. Um, uh, Terry Butcher followed Thomas Dooley. And I came in there to help and assist with with Terry. And unfortunately, that never took place. And then um, it left Chris and I and the staff to um, go ahead and navigate the Bahrain game, which was I was pleased with in the first game and um and then later on I again the old man game and you know between that and now obviously Sven Goran Eriksson came in and so uh, and I've been lucky in a sense because my licenses had um I'd not continued the CPD so they weren't uh, relevant anymore and so I wasn't in a position and so it gave me a year or so to um have a look at the squad. Have a look at the players. Get to know the culture a little bit. I knew a little bit about it, obviously, before I came in, so I would never have taken the job blind. And it gave me that chance to have a look at things. So I've been fortunate in that sense that I had a little bit of time where Terry came in and then Sven came in and to get to know everything and, and and build from there. So you know, I had a break between the Bahrain and the Oman game, and then another break, and then back in for the last last uh, six games that we've had. So. It's been. I've been lucky in that sense. So it, it, for me, um, it's given me the time to get to know players, get to know the system and people, and look at its strengths and,
1: and its weaknesses. Was it was it different in terms of what you expected with regards to, you know, the quality of the players? Was it different to, um, you know, what you'd experienced, for example, in, in your previous role in Thailand, or, or, or were you quite pleasantly surprised with the level of, of players that you had at your disposal?
2: Um, well, it was different, but uh, and and I I don't th- I wasn't surprised because I'd I'd seen the Philippines play a couple of times in Thailand and watched. I, obviously, I'd got players that played for the Thai national team. I'd developed a few players into the Thailand national team and some uh, at that time current players. So I'd got a chance to watch their games and I'd always uh, looked at different teams around. I was looking as a club coach for that plus one Asian slot as well. So I always made it my business to take a look around, and it always struck me that they were. You've got the like European feel to the team and so was, I was a bit intrigued by that and so when I came in it was clear straight away that it would I felt more suited here one thing for sure was I didn't need a, a translator um I felt a little bit more in custom with the likes of you the young husbands and people like that that were already here that I could relate to a little bit it was easier to get a feel for it like culturally and, and from an environment perspective so it, it was a nice surprise coming in and it was, it was, um, I wasn't surprised about the players because I'd already I'd done my homework and I'd, I would have done that before any job in any case. So I always felt like the team had got potential and and of course at that
1: time they just qualified for the Asian Cup and so we, I knew that it was a strong team. I remember our, we did the first training session in Bahrain and I remember we went back to the hotel and, and one of the things that you said that, you, that struck you instantly was the fact that a lot of the ideas and things that you were looking to implement were quite quickly embedded within the the, the, the first session. I remember you turned to me at, at dinner and you're like, wow, I was quite surprised that they're normally things that would take maybe a few weeks, a few months. If, you, if, if you're if you in somewhere like a Thailand where it might not be your first language and it has to go through an interpreter, it sometimes does get literally lost in translation, doesn't it? Some of that, some of the information that you're trying to embed. but." Obviously, from that first initial training session, it was it was quite easy for you to get a, get your point across. Is, is that why you feel it, it, it's been quite a quick transition for you in, in terms of getting your ideas across? Because it seemingly a lot of the players were were able to to pick up on your ethos quite quickly and were able to implement your game plan in, in quite a short period of time. Yeah, uh, exactly.
2: I mean, I remember that conversation we had too, Chris, and it was. It felt like lightning speed the way they adapted and understood what we were what we were trying to do. And I say we because it was a group of us, you and I, involved. And at that point, you you know you look at you can look at the translation as uh, as a as a big hindrance where you've come from. But also the football education. Many of these players, like yourself, mm. uh, had come through junior systems, and had better youth edu- football education, and so I would say that along with. Being able to speak directly, and one thing in Ireland I learned quickly is you better make sure your translator is on the same wavelength as you in terms of not just the language, but the emotion and the injections you put into your into your like speaking and and where you where you're coming from. So that's always a concern, but it wasn't when I was here. So. I should be a surprise. It was because a the players had better uh, youth education. and B the, the, the language wasn't wasn't a barrier anymore. And, and more than that, there's there's, a, there's quite a few British influence around the, the camp, so it was easy to kind of get cultural feel quickly. So and, and that resulted in a good seventh minute something like that for, for obviously they were there, but Bahrain and Oman were two games that we played away from Oman and, and you know, we didn't win, but we, we, we didn't, we didn't get beaten even. so I think there's a lot to be said about that early uh, understanding of where we're going.
1: Yeah.
0: Of course, moving on to um, the next two big tournaments that you had shortly after coming on, um, a lot of people were were looking forward to another Suzuki cup. And of course the first ever Asian Cup that the Philippines would get involved in. Um, and then there was a, a little bit of a, a plot twist that, that took everybody by surprise. You know, obviously, uh, Sven Goran Eriksson being announced. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that experience? Obviously, Sven, in the game, um, a legendary coach. Uh, what was it like, um, first of all? What was the experience like first finding out about Sven taking charge? And then what was it like working alongside him for uh, those tournaments?
2: Yeah, I mean, it was a great experience. And of course, his, his, his CV and credentials speak for themselves. So you, you know, it's, uh, it's all right there in black and white. Um, I worked under him uh, when I was at Leicester City, uh, not with the first team. I was an academy coach, but he... You know, I remember now ever to watch my youth team play and I'd spent time speaking to him so I'd known him for a little while and when he came in it was um, there was a lot of enthusiasm going into the Asian Cup we got a, a strong coach on paper and so the optimi- the optimism was high um, but it just didn't kind of work out that way and sometimes in football it doesn't matter who you are sometimes it just doesn't work out and unfortunately that's that's the way it went We 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 Didn't win any game. Didn't get a point in the Asian Cup, and probably didn't equip ourselves apart from the first eighteen minutes against South Korea as well as we could have done.
0: What about that Suzuki Cup? Um, Obviously, we went up against a Vietnamese team as well. That was uh, when you look at them, um, it was quite impressive what they were able to to accomplish. Not just in terms of the 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 trophies that they won in the region at that time, uh, both in the club game and on the national stage, but it's also seemingly the, 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 manner of, of play that they brought that, that was quite a pleasure to watch as well. What did you think of that Vietnamese team and that experience of the Suzuki cup?
2: I, I think you've hit the nail on the head when you said it brought something because when they came to college they brought aggression, desire, and a real um, determination that if you don't match in the first 15, 20 minutes of a game, you're not going to come off on top. And, um, I was frustrated, probably most in any game I've been with the Astros for the first 20 minutes at home against Vietnam because we knew they got quality, but so did we. So did so did we. We had enough players that could have taken care of them. And for t- the first 15 or 20 minutes, it felt like we were the away team, and that um, you know they were first to every second ball. They were in our faces. They were aggressive, and I don't think we responded from the sideline uh, any of us or oh, on the pitch to um, to match yeah. that. And so I think, I for me, it was sort of lost minutes. in that first 20 minutes there against Vietnam. They, they set the tempo and they kept it up. And, um, you know, the, all credit to them. They were they, a team that knew what they wanted to do and how to do it. And um, they weren't going to be intimidated anywhere in fact it was the opposite they put it on teams home and away and i felt that it was a missed opportunity the team had been to the semi finals Suzuki cup before and it was a chance to go one further and um you know it was never going to be easy but i don't think i don't think we we,
1: we did anywhere as well as we could have done it's quite yeah, it's quite interesting you say that Scott because like we were talking earlier we had uh, we, we spoke with Daniel Bennett yesterday and he was talking about some of his experiences with with Singapore and he was talking about teams that kind of grow into the tournament and you know, although we qualified out of the group, we, I didn't think we we probably played as well as we we expected to play um, during the during. The, we sort of played in fits and starts. We played some good football here and there in patches, but we never seemed to sort of get it um, together for a, for a sort of full game. I, I, I and I looked at Vietnam and, and they, especially like you said, that first thirty minutes in that semi-final where really the onus and impetus should have been on us to, to really stamp our authority on the tie Um, it just it just wasn't there and I think it was always going to be an uphill struggle going to, 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 to their place in, in Hanoi Um, you know without taking a, a lead or at least giving a better account of ourselves in, in that first game what, what I'm quite interested while we're on the Suzuki Cup theme is this year is obviously a Suzuki Cup year and I was reading about um I think the Thai League might be starting late and, and might be going into the Suzuki Cup. So potentially some of their more established players might not be involved in that. Um, but but the Suzuki Cup to the Philippine general public is a really really big competition. But I'm I'm thinking um, it, it's it's a great opportunity for us to to pick up some some silverware because I know we've been to the semi-finals what four out of the last five years, um, and I know you you you've seen it as a real Opportunity to pick up a, a, a trophy in a Southeast Asia um, setting. I mean, did, is, is that really a focal point now for the for the national team at this particular yeah, moment in time? I, I think it has to be, Chris. I'm sure
2: you would agree, and you're, you're right. The the that first 30 minutes against Vietnam set the tone, and maybe we could be sitting here already with that Suzuki Cup had we got the first 30 minutes yeah. right. You know, when we went to Vietnam, it was always it was always a there's always uh, maybe a bridge too far, and um, unless it was your team was in two thousand and ten that your team won in Vietnam, was it
1: two thousand and ten? yeah, 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 yeah.
2: And um, I watched that game the other day, by the way, and you know headed goal off your shoulder, you tell me and an assist, so we could have done with a performance like that there, couldn't we? But <laughs> but um, yeah, it's a chance to pick up silverware, whether Thailand are in or out, and of course that could cause us problems too, but. First of all, the Suzuki Cup is massive to Thailand. They they deem themselves as number one in Southeast Asia, probably rightly so. Although now I'm sure Vietnam will have something to say about that. It's a chance, and but it's their chance too, and they, they do take uh, priority in that tournament. So I'm surprised, and they're going to mirror the, their league's going to mirror the European league, and so that will pose okay. a problem of players being released around the Suzuki Cup time, and of course. So we know that Suzuki Cup, uh, a, lot of the, a lot of those games are outside of the FIFA calendar, so you can't call the players up if the players... Well, you can call them up, but the don't have to release them. So that could right. be an issue. But it could be for us too, because we've got several players playing in Thailand also. Right. Um, and funny you say this, because the other day I was thinking, what if it fell outside the FIFA calendar uh, most of the games? and we what would our team look like without any Thai representative players right. and it's still pretty good on paper I can yeah. tell you yeah. and I'd still be very confident and I still wouldn't make any excuse for that to the point that we have to get to a final to go better but if you're going to get to a final you might as well win it right so we have to be looking at trying to win that tournament there's no hiding from that you
0: know yeah.
2: at all
1: I, know, I think that that for me speaks volumes of the mindset that that's changed certainly when you know when, I started and then going through the process with the national team. I definitely yeah. think there is more uh, expectation, and and obviously since you've come in, one of the things I think you've instilled is, a, is is a stronger sense of belief that we could win something, we could achieve something. You know, like I said, and we, we've been to four semi-finals now, but of those semi-finals, you know, I, I, I'm not too sure how how many of those we there was genuine belief that we could qualify. Um, for the for the final, but there is definitely that expectation now because I, I think you know why you said you know Thailand and Vietnam they would probably see themselves at that point at uh, the sort of the pinnacle of Southeast Asian football. They know that the Philippines are, are there and thereabouts for sure, um, and the expectation is, is definitely that. You know we should be making finals and I know that's definitely something that you've instilled in the squad because that's that's just it's just your personality and, and how you are but one of the things I think that's interesting that you touched upon there was the fact that there are some players who perhaps are off the radar perhaps outside of the 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 the, the, the pool of players who who the general football public are familiar with Um is there any sort of updates with regards to some of those, some of those players? Uh, there, is there anyone who's either acquired passport? Well, I know we've been talking about naturalisation before on this show uh, and the possibility of trying to get people like Bienve or, or Robert Lopez Mendy in the squad. What, what, what's the situation with regards to some players who perhaps are off the radar, who, who might potentially could, could be involved for Suzuki Cup later on this year?
2: Yeah. Um, there's a lot going on. Nothing with naturalisation at this point, but, um, but there is updates. Michael Kempter, after his long wait, has finally got um, permission. Uh, FIFA approved and um, his passport. So that's another left-sided defender or, or you know attacking left-sided player, if we want to use him that way. Where is he playing F.C. right now, so, Scott? Uh, FC Zurich. It's, is he? He's still at Zurich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's had a contract coming up, and he would like to move to Southeast Asia if it's right for him. But there's not there's not guarantee on that. Right. Um. Jesse Curran, who was formerly at Dundee, Dundee United, uh, Dundee, sorry not Dundee United, he's um, about a week or two after lockdown from getting his passport. And it will be easier for him to be FIFA approved than Michael Kempter, who Kempter had previously played for uh, Swiss, uh, Switzerland representative national team at uh, junior level, which caused problems about sporting nationality. We had to wait for a, a FIFA decision on that. Uh, but Curran is another one. Uh, Nico devero has his passport now, and he's from Major League Soccer at the Portland Timbers, and uh, he's free of his Achilles ankle, and um, he's he's looking good. Jeff Tabinas is a J2 player in uh, in Japan, uh, centre-back, father's G- Ghanaian, mother's Filipino, and he's got his passport and he's, he's clear and ready. Uh, Jesper Nihon, which we all know about, is... Um, A.K. Gothenburg, Gothenburg centre-back, had a horrific broken leg about two years ago and is just now back to 11 v 11 football and has expressed a desire to play. Uh, and we're also speaking to uh, the one player that's been on the radar for a long time but the most difficult to get is Jarrett Holtman, uh, the FC Mines player who's just gone out and loan somewhere else, um, recorded as one of the top three fastest players in the Bundesliga. Um, again, his mother's Filipino, and just recently I spoke to his agent actually during the lockdown a couple of times, and they think it's now that it's the right time. The last, you know, year or two's performances, and so there's another one, um, Rafael Obama. Who was a Bayern Munich product? Played for Bayern Munich too. Then went to Sturm Graz in Austria. Um, about a week away from his passport, and surely really hundreds more that come across. Uh, I actually remember Jesse Curran, Chris. It was you that um, identified send him, sent him, uh, sent his details to me, and you know uh, that was about a year and a half ago. And so there's there's plenty more that we're looking at. But the, the biggest thing is with these players: is do they have a, actually desire to play? Do they want to play and why? Is it, is it to open up the Asian market for them financially or, or is it because they really do want to play for the Philippines? And that, they're the big questions that we have to ask. And there's been a few players I've spoken to and I don't feel that they've got the desire to, 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 to come in and, and play. And so it, it, we're, we're walking that line of current pool players, players
1: that we're identifying and then, as we touched on earlier, developing younger players, which will be a, probably a bigger challenge. And, and how are you gauging that? Because I think that's really, really important, Scott, you know, like that, that desire to want to play for the national team, because I think uh, I mean, we've, we, a lot of those players, those names were on lists for a long time, weren't they? I mean, I remember having conversations with you about if we can get this guy, if we can get that, that guy. But it, it must be really hard for you to try to decipher, right, what, what are the motivations for, for these guys wanting to play? Like, h- how do you do that? I'm quite intrigued from a coach's perspective. Like, how how do you sort of try to gauge whether or not someone's in it for the, for the right reasons or not? I think
2: it's, it's got to be done over a period of time. And, you know, fortunately, with the passport process and fee for, um, you know, fee for approval, you, you get time to, to speak to them often and you can gauge that. I mean, if you look at Kempter and Curran, they've both, been, and Devere, they've made the effort to come out, here, even though yeah. they couldn't play. They've sat with the squad, they've been in the hotel rooms, you know. Ne- Neon's, you know, expressed desire on his own, I and mean, they've come to me, you know. And you just get a feel for it, I suppose, And rather than the one or two players that speak about, you know, how much money will I be paid to represent the national team? What type of contracts could I get? They're all the... Red flags to me when people start talking about that. I want to speak. I want them to ask me like Jared Holman did. What's the system you play? You know, how would you see me fitting into your style and your system? Nothing to do with anything else, or contracts, or you know, what's the quality of the hotel like, or do I get <laughs> business class flights or things like that? Which, well, I mean, there are viable questions after you know that you know you want to play, and so it's gauged over a period of time. And I'd say we're we're about three or four to one of closing down. Um, a possible player based on them saying the wrong things and coming across right. the wrong way. And so we have got to get the attitude right because we've it's taken time to build an environment in the Eskals that I'm comfortable with. You know, we you know there was one already existing when I came in and Terry came in and then it was me and you for a little bit and then Sven came in, and then it was back to me and, and then there were some players have retired since then or got a little older and you know new players have come in. So it's taken that time to get the environment right. And the last thing we want to do is destroy that environment. So we've got to make sure it's the right attitude coming in.
0: It's a lot of interesting names that were thrown out there. Uh, it seems to be like a, a lot of research for some of the casuals to, to get into, you know, and to see what they have in store for the ASCALS team. Obviously, you also mentioned that the, the team itself, there's a lot of quality at your, disposable, at, at your disposal at the moment. And um, you kind of glazed over the Asian Cup a little bit, as just basically as a disappointment outside of the first 80 minutes uh, against South Korea. Um, for the rest of us who were watching along from uh, here in the Philippines, we were just extremely ecstatic about reaching a stage like that and um, to be competing against the likes of you know South Korea and the like. Um, you seemed disappointed. I disappointed, and that 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 you know uh, that strikes me as quite interesting. You know, a lot of the players might've been just happy to be there. Um, was there anything else that you took from that outside of the disappointment um, uh, from that experience over there in, um, where was it? Dubai? Dubai. Yeah. And, and Abu
2: Dhabi. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a lot to be taken. The Actually having that big tournament experience is one thing that we, we've got now. So we've had that. Maybe there was a, we're happy to be here. Um, there was a lot of support out there from Filipino fans, which was immense. I mean, the China game was incredible. And I, I felt that... Uh, I'm disappointed because I, I felt like we didn't apply ourselves as well as we could. Even the South Korea game for 18 minutes, the, the system we had, let's be honest, was to frustrate and counter, and it was working. And with, you know, uh, 10 minutes left, we were 1-0 down. You know, I'd rather lose 2 or 3 trying to get 1-1 than be happy with a 1-0 defeat and i felt like we could have gone and asked more questions in the last 10 minutes and we didn't do that um, but we can take great pride in the first uh, the way we equipped ourselves against a team that had recently been in germany in the world in in um, the in the world cup 2-0 so you know we 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 had some great performances uh, individual performances in, uh, and collective performance in that first game and i just felt from the last 10 minutes to the last two games, it dropped off and dropped off. And there was a little bit of uncertainty. And, you know, I think, you know, it was, it was, there was some some parties frustrated, some not. And it was, I just felt like we'd not had enough time to really know what we really wanted to achieve um, as, as a group. And, and so for me in that situation, if and when, I mean, it should be when we get back to the Asian Cup, we have to look at, you know, targeting ourselves to get out of the group like Vietnam and Thailand did. And, you know, if they can do it, why can't we, you know? We, we showed here at home against Thailand in the Suzuki Cup, We it was 1-1 and we had them on the rack. You know, Vietnam, if we'd have applied ourselves a bit more, we could have, um, you know, we could have done something there. Both those two teams got out of the Asian Cup Oops. You know, we played uh, Oman and Bahrain. Neither of those 2 t- who'd already qualified for the Asian Cup, neither of those two teams could beat us in, a, in away games from the Philippines. So we've we got the... We'd got the ability there. We'd, everything was there for us to do something. We just didn't do it for whatever reason.
1: I think one of the other things Scott, that we took from the tournament was, the club We We realised we weren't that far away. You know, and then kind of, I guess when you look at, like you said, the result. You know, South Korea beating Germany. At a World Cup, you think you kind of have hold them on a pedestal, don't you? You think, oh my gosh, this team's going to be, you know, littered with world class stars, and, and a lot of people would assume that we, we we're just not going to be able to ha- handle them. But we, we we were capable, we were definitely capable, and I think we came out of that tournament um, with a sort of renewed renewed confidence, as it were, to to be able to go to that stage, whenever that might be ne- next time around, and, and and feasibly compete. And by compete, we mean you know, get out the group or, um, you know, make a, make a run in the knockout stages, which, you know, if we'd have said that four, five, six years ago, you'd be like, well, what, what's he been smoking? You know, he's, it seems pie in the sky stuff. But yeah. I, I think that really needs to be, we can't be too cognizant of what happened in the past and hold on to those, the, those misgivings. We always have to look forward to the future. And I definitely think when you think about some of the calibre of players that we bring in, we could potentially bring it into the mix, you know, test, add that to, you know, your philosophy and hopefully a bit of time to embed that in, Over, uh, you know, within that time frame from the, the last Asian Cup, the, the qualification process and hopefully at that time again, I don't see why we can't make a decent run at, at, at the Asian Cup level, which is really where we should be striving for now. Well,
0: ab-
2: absolutely, Chris. I mean, the bottom line is with the players we're bringing in and the time we've got, and the quality we've already got and some plans to develop plays is simply there's no excuse. There just isn't any, there's no excuse. We should be trying to win the Suzuki cup. We should be trying our best to get to the next round of world cup qualification. We should be qualifying for the Asian cup and we should be trying our best to get out of the group there. And if we keep adding the quality and the time and, and, and developing ourselves, there's just simply no excuse for that. And so, um, you know, I accept that as a coach and, um, you know, I, I, I will, I'll I welcome that and, you know, do whatever I can to, to try and go do better than we've done. You know, you're right. We, we could take a lot of positives from the Asian Cup. We, we saw the South Korean game up close and personal and we there were chances in that game. And I remember Patino had two a couple of chances there to level it up or to put us in front that on any other given day he could have met. There were 50-50 chances, but he could have taken. And I've seen him take, in my season, I had him at Buryam, I saw him take, 25, 26, similar chances like that. And so you, there's a lot we can take out of it, and there's a lot we can learn from too, you know, in terms of our application and our belief. And I think that's where uh, we can take so much from it in terms of what we can do and what we shouldn't do.
0: It's quite interesting, yeah, that you guys talk a lot about the the uh, the, the belief that the team has now. It seems it has trickled over to the fans. There's a lot more expectation as to what we can go on and uh, achieve as a team. And, uh, it was an interesting game, uh, quite recently, the, uh, World Cup qualifying match against Syria, um, here in, uh, in the Philippines, in obviously the result did not go our way, but there was something about, uh, the approach to that game that was, um, quite brazen, in that, you know, we, we went out there and we were going to attack them. Uh, and, uh, Obviously, there that comes with a few risks, and perhaps uh, they were able to score on us early, and it would have been easy to go over there and criticize the team. That hey, you know, if we had taken a more cautious approach, perhaps that didn't that wouldn't have happened, and blah blah blah. But I remember you going out and speaking right after that match, and not taking any excuses outside of your approach. In fact, you were you were happy that you went over there and and took it to Syria, and I that really. Uh, hit me as wow, you know, we're gonna go out there and we're gonna, we're not just gonna try to survive against these teams, we're gonna go out there and attack them. And, um, yeah, even if the result didn't go our way, I thought, wow, there's gonna be some exciting football to watch, uh, ahead for, for the Ascots.
2: Yeah, you I mean, you're right. I'm still bitterly disappointed about that game, but I'll tell you why because the first 20 minutes. We had Syria on the rack. We really did. We went one nil up. Every set piece, they were panicking. You know, from a coach perspective, you can see in the technical area when a team's gone, and they were gone for 20 minutes. The centre backs were screaming at each other. They didn't know what they were. They didn't know how it were, how to deal with it. Every time they um, had a set, we had a set piece. They panicked, and you only get a set piece right in attacking areas by attacking. So it shows we were in the right areas, and. And um, it's a shame we just couldn't sustain that. We we, we conceded a goal on the on, on the break and another one right after that. a Penalty right after half-time. Before you know it, we we're 3-1 down. And the game's gone. Um, you know, the, the selection for that game was a gamble. You know, Desuki Sato played as a left centre-back. He didn't have the height. You know, uh, Ian Ramsey was a left wing-back. Not really his natural position. So, but we went for it and it was working for 20 minutes. And So we saw enough to be... Um, confident in that first 20 minutes because Syria probably got the most potent attacking force in Asian football if you look at their front three yeah. they're uh, unbelievable players and yeah. so you know why why sit back and let the the best attacking force just attack you in in a home game you know on on a wet night in Bacolod so we we took the the gamble of going out it didn't pay off but we saw enough in the first 20 minutes that we can cause problems and we did cause problems and at that point, we'd only just starting to get our atmosphere and the environment right, and the rhythm right. And so I, I'll take that loss. I, you know, personally, myself, uh, it's five. On paper, it's five two. It's a heavy loss. But um, you know, what did what did we do after that loss? We we gathered ourselves together. We pissed ourselves down, and we took the positives from it, as Chris alluded to earlier. And then we went um, we went away to Guam and had the biggest away win. In the last five years, from any ASL team, you know, and the four-one in Guam could have I mean, could have and should have been eight or nine-one, if I'm honest. And so we bounced back, and that there on that day in Guam, it just showed me uh, this character is edited in exactly the right way. And so it was, you know, it was the the trip from Bacolod. To Guam, that was the, the time where we were 70%. going to find out just what we were made of because what Guam it was a team full of U.S. based players. It was a really poor surface, Ashitave, a bouncy pitch. It was all set up for it to be a nightmare, and um, you know they pulled it back to two-one with a penalty, and uh, against a play, and then you know we stretched them out with Schrock and Strauss scored third and fourth goals, and they could, there was seven or eight really clear-cut chances, and so. I was proud of that because it was a—it was a, not so much a bounce back from a defeat. It was just more highlighting the character of the squad. And, you know, to get the biggest away win, what I could see in the last five or six years was, was massive, having had that 5-2 loss at
0: home. Chris, you, you've been um, watching along and, and, and seeing how the Ascals have been playing. What? Um, what do you think is uh, something that um, we could add a, to the squad that could, that we need the most, you know, um, what, what is it that uh, a piece of the puzzle perhaps that we could add into it that could have the the biggest impact on the squad right now? You
1: know, I think I think when Neil, Neil was talking, wasn't he? When, when he came on for his, for his second episode, I think he just likes coming on the show, doesn't he, Neil? Um, <laughs> He, uh, and he and he was saying actually the, the the squad's really good. The squad's really good. A lot of times it just it's just the case of taking a bit of time to, you know, um, get used to the system. Get you because it's, it's like, as Scott was alluding to, it's a different approach, isn't it, to how we've been in the past. I mean, even if you look at like on Suzuki Cup level, a lot of the games that we've had over the last probably 10 years, it is predominantly been, you know, we're going to try to outmuscle an opponent, we'll be compact, we'll be physical, we'll probably hit him on the break or or use the quality that we have from set pieces or maybe fill young husband with a little bit of you know a little bit of guile, a little bit of wizardry, he'll come up with something um to, to unlock a defense. Whereas there is definitely a more, much more cohesive approach now. And as you said, it's a lot more aggressive and it's a lot more on the front foot. And, and that invariably is going to take time to embed, you know, even, even as Scott was alluding to, although people pick it up quickly, it, it does take time. Cause when you think about it, right, how many months have you had to work on it? But when you actually think about it in terms of training sessions, it's actually very few, you know, if, if it was a real city, if it was a real football club, but, but like a, pre-season you might be two weeks or three weeks into pre-season if you want to look at it in in, in, in that kind of sense so i'm not, not sure if it's a case of obviously if you're going to be bringing in players look, of the caliber of an a, exactly uh a knee home or a kemter people like that and uh tabinats then, then they're obviously going to accentuate the squad right but you know in terms of what, what he's got in his uh, his disposal now i think it's more just a case of you know with the group of players that he's got at his disposal now, embedding those ideas, really nailing them down, and then obviously with every game that you're implementing those ideas, every game that you're getting more and more success, you know that that, that just perpetuates that sense of belief. And, and probably the best example of that would have been that China game in in, in, in recent um, in the recent World Cup qualifier. Um, yeah, you know, I, I would have said if you'd have played China, maybe. Something you know, two years ago, it would have been a back to the wall, uh, like a, you know a two or three nil match, defeat would probably be and acceptable. And we, we'd walk away from that being well, that was you know, that was acceptable. They're, they're highly ranked team. There's we, we can't really take too much away from a, an opponent like that. And all of a sudden we get a nil-nil draw, put in a really solid performance, and even then it was a bit like no, we played well, but we probably could have beaten them. And I'm thinking, mm-hmm. wow, that's that shows that the Uh, just how far we've come in in such a short period of time the fact that we're going up against the might of china with all their billions at their disposal you know the amount of money that they're pumping into the into their football program and we're you know we're we're expecting to compete and and feel a little bit disappointed when we get a really good nil-nil draw i think that's that's a sign of how much it's, it's progressed i don't know what your take on it was that that particular game scott but i thought the team played incredibly well uh, and uh, for large portions of that game off so, defensively we were very resolute be but be even then be, be had opportunities to potentially win that game which is a completely different mindset to what we had you know in previous years yeah Chris um,
2: like you said uh, if you go back to results against China just back for the last two, two, three years alone it was an 8-1 loss away in yeah. China then a 3-0 loss at the Asian Cup and then uh, we played them to a 2-0 loss under me in China, where I thought we actually played really well, yeah, really well yeah, in yeah. parts. But and actually, so we saw yeah. gradually us ourselves improving. And then came the, 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 the drawing for Collard. And before the game, I met some of the regional FA presidents and just had a like coffee with them about three hours before the game. And I remember that, at, that we were 17-1 to 1 to win the game. Um, is that right? Yeah, it was seventeen to one to win the game on some some odds, and I and I, I told the um, regional staff because I, I I knew at the time we'd got a lot of things right. The confidence was running that this is um, this is we're going to get something from this game. I just I, I I felt that we we could. I felt that we would. The team did, and we went into there, and um, you know I felt like China had looked around at the stadium, the training facility, and I felt like they were, felt that, like, you know, maybe a little bit too good for the place. And, um, you know, they just got Elkson into the squad from, they did naturalised, mm-hmm. which I thought was ironic because, you know, six months earlier they were asking me in China, how do you feel about all your naturalised players, And I said, to <laughs> show me one naturalised player we've got. I mean, if you want to tell Stefan Schrock he's naturalized, you know you might have a little problem there, you know, and um, or any of you for that matter. And so we didn't have one. So they brought Elks in, they brought the boy back from Espanol, and they have got that front three up front, which was potent. Um, uh, but I felt like we'd got the plan right, and we knew what we were doing. We'd seen, if you remember, Chris, you and I went to watch China play against Bahrain after we'd drawn with Bahrain. That's right. Yep. And we, and we identified that day what they were doing in terms of the captain dropping into the centre circle picking up the ball from the feet mm-hmm. and seven was a danger and you know the tactics weren't too much dissimilar from what we'd originally seen because I kept seeing the same repeated action we didn't use that in the Asian Cup but we certainly did um, in Bacolod in the World Cup and so we denied the captain the ball we, we kept it compact and narrow at the back but we we made sure that there was an emphasis on scoring goals not stopping them scoring. Yeah. And if you look in that game, there's about eight or nine chances and about four or five very good chances for us mm-hmm. in that game. And at towards the end, you know, they China took off their two centre-backs and put two full-backs on at the end to, to move the ball quicker, to try and push and get the win. And at that point there, we, you know, uh, um, James' young husband wasn't um, in the squad. He was out of a club. And we got Angel Gerardo in there. With his height, you know, all lack of pace, but some height and some and some guile, and we we went with him up front for the last ten minutes. And I felt at that last ten minutes we we're going to win this game now because I felt that like they were unbalanced defensively against us. And sure enough, Garrido had two very good chances, mm-hmm. that caused them a lot of problems. Yeah, and, the, and we had some set pieces at the end that still haunt me because we squandered them. We really squandered them. That there were chances there that they didn't have the aerial combativeness to to stop us. And I felt we we okay. Neil made a huge save on like think it was eighty six minutes. Yeah. But um, but we had some chances there at the end. And so I felt like you know people were saying to me What's the best result we've had in X amount of years, and no one's beat took points from China in sixty two years in World Cup, and all these stats that didn't. I didn't care one bit about them. I cared that you know what this could have and should have been a win so i had to be careful how i gauge that in the change room after the game because yeah i'm actually i'm actually a bit ticked off because i'm thinking you know they were there you know the tongue hanging out you know jaw drops ready to be put out you know and, yeah and, and um we we missed it we missed a chance and i don't think we'll do that again i think we have a team in that position in the future we've got enough em- enough about the squad now and the em- mentality and environment to to, to put a team away like that and uh, we got it right and and if you look at Lippi's comments after the game he, you know when he resigned in Syria after the 2-1 loss in Syria he said you know we we can beat uh, we can play well against teams like Maldives and Guam but we struggle against stronger teams again like Syria and Philippines so yeah. there's the World Cup winning coach saying something like that about us which I don't think we would have got anything
1: like that you know going back 3, 4, 5 years yeah, I remember those. Co- yeah, I remember those comments when I think yeah. we commented, didn't we, Jing, when we did the show uh, after that match, and it was like, yeah, it's 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 almost surreal, you yeah, know, like bizarre, when, when huh? you when you kind of think about it in that context. But but knowing Scott, it, it's that doesn't surprise me in, in terms of the comments. You know, like there is that sort of bullish nature, uh, you know, that that winning mentality that obviously he has, and and wants to instill that in the squad. And, you know, part of me thinks that it's, it's a shame that the China game wasn't able to be concluded in that that sort of quick, it's quite a quick turnaround between that game and when the the game was scheduled to be played in this last, um, this past window. Because um, obviously it gives them a little bit of a stay of, an ex- stay of execution, so to speak. I mean, I'm hoping it, it, it can be revisited at, at a later stage. But it would have been nice to have sort of kept that momentum going. Because I definitely think that you know that was uh, a great opportunity to, like you said, to sort of cut the throat while you while you you know your foot's on the neck, so to speak. Um, is there any news with regards to that? When is that? potentially going to be rescheduled is, is there any updates regarding any World Cup qualification games when they might be played no
2: there's not there's not been any news no. at all. we're waiting from AFC and they're just monitoring just the domestic leagues for now and I guess they're going to take it from there I guess the problem with international competition is the travel and um, the, the domestic side looking after themselves and so you're always going to ruin that so we've not heard anything yet at all okay. but I you know I found I read an article the other week that the Chinese national team are away in camp training already. Oh, so really? Yeah. That's that's interesting. And um, and they've since then they've um, they've naturalised three more Brazilian players. So um, I think that's um, that's interesting uh, from from a naturalisation, part, especially a country that put me put me put it on me in their own press conference <laughs> about our so called naturalised players, which we have none of. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that. Um, helps their team or affects their team because that's the, that's the key, isn't it? And it's, you know, it's no different from us. We bring in Kempter or Curran or Tabernas or Holtman and Neom. They've still got to make the squad. Subscribe. They've still got to show they deserve to Channel. be there from an attitude and that they uh, can, that can, they can improve no. the squad no. and hopefully improve the team. They have to show that. They're not just going to be, you know, dumped into the lineup. We, they, we, I need to, be able to understand that that's going to improve us because we don't want to move sideways. And we've got a squad of players here who are loyal, who work hard, that roll the sleeves up, that fight, that have endured some things that some other players wouldn't endure. And so we have to be careful that we don't start, you know, giving shirts away
1: yeah,
2: any old hour. And, so, and I'm making that clear to these players. And I think they respect that, that the fact is that they're going to have to earn the spot in the squad. They're going to have to make sure they stay in the squad. And then can they improve the starting eleven? On paper, of course, they, they should be able to. But, you know... Teams don't play on paper, so we have to make sure that, that it, it fits that way. And so I'm looking forward to seeing how we can develop this without uh, losing
1: focus of where we've come from and who's brought us here. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, I mean, I want to try to segue into the ASCAL development squad now because I think that's that's quite a nice bridge with some of the players that perhaps are uh, people like myself, Phil Foreigners, with term I don't like, but Phil Foreigners, who might not be quite ready to make that step up into the national team, whether it be for age, whether it be for just experience, but it, it seems as though that type of environment is very conducive for players who are maybe they're from America, they're postgraduate, it, they might be just uh, still in a youth team or a reserve, you know, development squad of, of a professional club in Europe, for example. That seems to be quite a nice um, opportunity there for for people to make that segue from. Um, you know being uh, not quite ready for senior national team football but have an opportunity to to play with and under the, the national team sort of setup uh was that the kind of premise behind the the ascar development team being set up
2: well yeah because i mean there's a you know, there's some uh, academies out here and you've got you know, there's the ko1 there's other some academies but there's not a, a dearth of academies here and so you're looking at where are the next players going to come from we don't want to always be look into Europe and, uh, you know, to all the time or to, you know, U.S. college soccer as well. And so it was, it was a notion of, can we put a program together that we can give players an opportunity to develop and so we can see how they can develop, whether they be, you know, uh, from a youth team set up in, in Europe or a college grad from the U.S. Or, or within our own college system here in the Philippines or high school even, so that we can start taking a look at players and I guess that's one of the things I've enjoyed most in my careers is, is finding players, finding talent, and it's, it's something I've enjoyed doing. I did it quite well in Thailand, over eight or nine players developed from North international team players. And so, uh, you know, if you look at the population here, you look at like the culture of Filipinos and and some of the you know college systems as well here, uh, high school players. I felt like there was there was surely enough possibilities there for us to put a team into the league develop that develop that team and see if we can help them move on in their careers some of them may make a step up to you know bigger clubs elsewhere whether it's domestic clubs here in the Philippines or abroad and potentially then come into the Ascals and so if we were looking for players to help the Ascals senior team from the top why not go the other way as well look see what we can get from the bottom and I felt that was what we were missing and um if you look at some of the other examples of under 23 teams playing in domestic leagues there's that we could follow and i think we've made a good start with that you know and you know we've there is a, a pretty good college system here and it's it's a bit us style and there are some good players and some good coaches and uh you know we've got we've got some exciting players and you know two of the two of the you know the, the players are exciting to me the most right now are, are coming have come through uh, from the domestic level, there's a, a young boy called Lance Campo that um, I think I saw him in one training session. He was, he was still at high school. He came in and he just showed wonderful balance and technique. And it was uh, Darren Hartman who recommended him with a few other players. And so we're always taking recommendations. It's not exclusive. We're looking at everyone. With the population, we want to keep looking. So this kid came in and um, he's in great strides. Harvey Gaiosa is another one who's... You know, we've tweaked his position a little bit, which surprised a few people in the City Games, uh, but again, he's making he's making strides too. And you know, there's a couple of European-based players, one or two American kids that have come in, so it, it's exciting and there's some there's some potential there. You know, will, will any of them make the senior rascals? Well, we'll wait to see. But if you look at in the City Games, Diano and Gayoso, their performances, you know, and and, and and it's nice to be able to see that we're we're not just searching football club or to find players that have got a Filipino father or a mother or a grandparent that we can see if they really want to play for us that you know there's got to be a way that we can identify players the population so so large here and uh, I, I'm pretty sure we'll you know given time we'll, we'll be able to create some senior
1: rascals f- through these programs. It's something we talk about a lot isn't it Jing? Uh, we talked about it a lot on the show about having the opportunity for especially homegrown Filipinos to try to bridge that gap because I think it serves two purposes one, the one which you mentioned there about giving that pathway for you know local domestic players to sort of bridge that gap between like you said the college system and then maybe the professional game which ultimately playing in the PFL is, 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 is what it's there to do But I think it also serves the purpose of of levelling the playing field as well um, for for, the, for a local Filipino player because we, we've talked about this on many occasions Jing haven't we at the, about the fact that you know it is an unfair advantage for someone like myself who grows up in the UK we, you know getting great coaches playing in great teams under the tutelage of you know some wonderful managers of course it's going to be an uneven playing field it's going to be so hard for someone like a uh, Joven Bedick, for example, to come through from Ilo Ilo playing on crummy fields, not getting the consistency of quality games, and then expect them at 21, 22 to, to, to step up into the professional game. I know, Jing, you've, you've got your thoughts on that as well, haven't you? Because it's something that you've talked about a lot on, on the show.
0: Yeah, 100%. You know, it's actually, when you speak to a lot of the homegrown players who are playing in the pro leagues, you know, there's a, there's a sense of uh, disheartenment in the fact that, you know, there seems to be no hope in in being able to break into the national team and there are very few personalities that they can look at uh, as an example that is breaking in and making an impact you know so when you look at something like the Ascal's development team and you see how some of these homegrown players are able to perform on a stage like the southeast asian games then individuals who are younger than them will get an opportunity to be like hey man i can go out there and play but at the same time it's also a, a, a a realization that somebody like Harvey Gayosa, for example, who is a standout, absolute superstar at the college level, is being forced to play in a position that is perhaps a little unconventional for him because this is his best use as being part of that squad. So, you know, it's not enough to just be a good standout player in your college team. If you want to make it into the national stage, there's got to be a higher bar that you aspire to. So it's, it, I think it achieves both, both of those things, you know, it allows for a path into the national team, but at the same time it gives you a taste of what you need in order to make it. And if, if, if there's anything to, to take from what you were talking about earlier, it's like, man, it's not enough that you're, you know, a Phil foreigner, uh, sorry for the term that you're going to be making it into the squad. Or if you have high credentials, you also have to have the right personality. You also have to have the right character a willingness to play in that system so the bar is getting higher and higher and if you're a homegrown uh, player or a star or standout man there's a lot of catching up to do so my question to you scott is like what do you think are the parameters that need to be put in place for homegrown stars or for players to start making up that ground you know because i'm sure there's a lot of them that are going to be wanting to break through and and make make a, a an impact on the national stage
2: I mean, of course, the first message is is they should not give up and they should not be dismayed. But we have to be honest, you know, and that, you know, the ADT system is the first system to kind of bridge that gap a little bit, you know, And and, but there's there's only one ADT. And so it would be nice to see the PFL grow for the teams to have academies, for us to be able to put an academy league together for that to start happening, you know, and, you know, we look at the national team now, there's Dato, Aguinaldo and Bedich are the current three, really, that are homegrown. And, um, you, you know, you can, you can see that potentially if, if we can get the ADT right, and it's, it's a benchmark for other, other, I mean, ADT doesn't have to be exclusive. It's just an idea that we can hopefully roll out across the country with other areas and other teams to, 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 um, to keep doing this. But if we get it right, you know, players like Gayoso and Deano, they, they excelled during the C Games. And the C Games was quite, you know, they, those players did well in the C Games. You know, you look at the, the victory over Malaysia, you know, the the um, Cambodia late draw, the 7-8 the eight, eight, West, they did well. And, you know, one stark difference uh, during that Sea Games struck me. is I was at a dinner um, with the team and the Thai uh, national team walked in. And uh, about nine or ten of the players came over to say hello to me. And it struck me, as I, I, I said hello to Master Madi were doing, that all nine of those players were playing in in, Thai, uh, in T1, mm. <laughs> in the Thailand Professional League, and have been playing for two or three years. Then I looked at our table, and you just saw Schrock, Aguinaldo, you know, uh, a little bit of Justin Bass, who was, who was, in, who was in Holland, uh, Rontini who played a little bit in Italian Division 4 and then the rest of it, you know, college players so and if you look how they equipped themselves those players there were some really good signs there so it shows that there are some good programmes here because those players didn't equip themselves on the back of one or two months training with, with ASCAL staff you know, they had to have had to have some background so something was working because you know okay, also Adiano and other players like Suba and you know, players like that were, were equipping themselves well during that s- stage. So, if we can give them more experience and exposure to higher levels of, of perhaps training and competition, then surely we're going to get those players coming through. You know, the ADT problem is not going to be enough. That's just going to have 20 places, you know, 25 places maximum each year. And that's not going to be enough for a nation as big as we are. And so we have to find a program that we can develop, and identify players, and develop them, you know, regionally. And that the only way that's going to happen is if there are either regional teams um, that are organised a little bit in the U.S. Olympic development program style, or that there are, the PFL grows and they assume academy teams as well. And so you know, you look at uh, academies out there, and there's some private academies, and there are some good ones, and some of the players that have been sent to us, like Lance Campo, came in, you know, I think he's got a huge talent and a great future, but it, you know, tactically is, is behind what players would be like. Chris has just said about players that have grown up in, in European clubs with other players and coaches and systems. And so it's got to be addressed, but I do think we made the right start and decision with ADT and we will get the benefits of that. Some of those players will possibly move on from ADT to pfl clubs or to thai clubs or to korean clubs or other clubs and get themselves exposed and ideally as the national team coach that's what i want to see i want to see those players so we can you know bring them into the national fall too and so there's a production line coming but the production line right now is just like it's almost like a single file line and we need to have multiple lines <laughs> um, which
1: is got to be a overall youth development strategy i guess Yeah, something that we talk about a lot, isn't it, Jing? About having that that youth development structure as a whole. Uh, it's quite interesting that, he, that Scott was talking about having it on, on a more regional level because yeah. that's something again we, I've touched on that many, many times more, more on the youth segment side because I think that that exactly what you said. It, it has to be some sort of funnel to the top. Do you know what I mean? It can't be you know, you you had a great um, uh, uh, visual of the single file, you know, you should be cramming players just, you know, you should all be cramming them in trying to, they all should be clambering to try and get an opportunity to play. And the only way you're going to do that is by broadening the the base to begin with, right? So, right, engaging with those regional FAs or, or regional organizations to try to put up their own, exactly what you said, like their own version of an ODP, Olympic development program, because then what you'll get is you'll get the best kids from the South, the best kids from Visayas, the best kids from Luzon all converging. And and you'll have that competitive nature already. And if you're in the best batch from those particular regions, you're all going to want to compete against each other. And that's when you're going to get better players coming through, at least initially to the collegiate system, right? Because then the collegiate coach is going to cherry pick all the best ones from those types of settings. And then by that time, it they get to you, then you should have more players of that caliber which is really what we're after it's not exactly what you said it's not enough that you can because uh, correct me if i'm wrong the composition of your group right now is what what would you say is the makeup like of guys raised abroad who've come into the setup versus guys who are coming in from the collegiate setup what's the what's the ratio
2: it's about 60 40 in favor of uh, domestic
1: collegiate players is it okay Okay. Yeah, I mean, really, in an ideal scenario, that would be someone like 80-20, wouldn't it? Something yeah. like that would yeah. be perfect. <laughs> because you still need to have, there needs to be that, you know, looking at, for example, Bailey's in that mix, isn't he, at the moment? And he needs he's someone who probably needs to be in that. He'd always probably be one of the more senior figures in that in that group, I'd imagine. You know, he's got yeah. decent experience. He's probably on the young side for the national team. He has potential to probably break into that, no, no question. But he'd, he'd benefit from probably playing a year, you know, under, under your tutelage, under the system... of you want to and, and so he can make that transition a little more seamlessly uh and then also be that kind of mentor figure for you know someone you know a young young up, upstart coming through the system but you've got to have more people coming through and this is something that we really really talk about a lot on the show um because obviously it, it's my it's my mo at the moment is to try to produce more more home homegrown players for people like you to to, to select so yeah, it's it's nice to see that there there is a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel, though, Jing, isn't there? For for guys who we're trying to, to develop, to cultivate, to at least give them a viable option um, in, in, into the professional game, because I think that's and something th- that's been that's been lacking, isn't it, Jing, in, in, I think, in the country?
0: I think that's why it's such a disappointment that uh, you know this whole virus situation has transpired because the start of the league was about to start. You know, we were were just about to get upon uh, the opening of the PFL. And um, for a lot of the casual fans, the the large driving point of that was to see what the ASCOS development team was going to look like and how they were going to perform against the likes of Seres, Kaya, and Stallion, in fact, is, is a great benchmark for people to see just how good this team is, you know. And I'm sure, Scott, that there were... A few targets that were set prior to the start of the season, and what were you guys looking at? What, what, did you, how, how well did you guys see yourselves performing in in, in this season of the PFL?
2: Yeah, um, good question. We actually had no targets for the league at all, hmm. not not one target for uh, where we want to come or, or, or position or cups or anything like that. It was just about developing them in, in because it's difficult right because we're not a team we're a team of players we're trying to develop as a you know right. and, and so we tr- we're we trying sometimes we might make the right decision for the player but the wrong decision for the team and so we're, tr- we're trying to improve the players so that they can ultimately move on you know at the same time you're always trying to embed embed into them a winning mentality so it's a fine line of both things and so we were always saying we were going to work as hard as we can, develop everybody as best as we can, and they had to accept everything we were going to do, like a gay also had to accept. That's where I see him, you know, excelling as a professional. And he accepted it. And I can tell you, behind the scenes, that boy's worked so hard and he's come on so much. And uh, he's already looking to me that he would be ready to go to T2. You know that level of 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 league football at some point, maybe higher than that. And so there was no uh, target. Uh, of course, you want to win. <laughs> I always want to win. We we but we will be looking at doing what's best for each player, and that at time might be at the cost of the team. And so we couldn't really put a target in like that because it, it wouldn't it wouldn't. Sync with what we're trying to do with for each player, and like I said, at the same time, we're just trying to teach them how to want to and how to get wins. You know, as part of a as part of a, as as a professional. So, you know, maybe times you know mid season that you know a, a PFL team or a, a Thai team or a Korean team or a European team says, "Hey, we like X player. Can we take them?" And at that point, there we're you know as a we're going to do what's best for the play. It won't be about them. We're second in the league, and we're in a position to challenge. That so that player's got an opportunity that we feels right for him. Then it he, then he's going to go, and we're going to bring in the next player and 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 so forth and so forth. So that's the idea.
0: Very interesting. Very interesting.
1: So yeah. it's, it's quite it's quite refreshing, isn't it, Jean? To to have have Scott look at it from that perspective because, you know, I think a lot of people put in that position might you know see this as an opportunity to try to I don't know bolster your profile or whatever or try to mm. you know uh, see it as a stepping stone to something else you know that type of that type of role whereas I think it is really important that it's it's got to be process driven because the, the the long-term aim really is you're going to be judged on how many players that you are able to put forward to the national team or how many players you produce for the league or how many players you get to play abroad and if that means you know you lose half your squad midway through the season because you've got you know, clubs from Southeast Asia wanting to sign them and you finish bottom of the league because you don't win any games, for that's that's actually a successful year. You know what I mean? That, that yeah. can't be deemed to, to be to be a negative. So I think that's quite refreshing to hear that because I think in some circumstances people might, you know, as a coach, sometimes people put their ego in front of the development side when you're in that type of role. You know, we, we all want to try to win at all costs, but I think that's, it's refreshing to hear that. And I know it probably goes against his better judgment because I know he wants to win all the time, but it is, it's, it's nice that, you know, like, some, like, again, Harvey came on the show, didn't he? And, and, and he spoke, you know, glowingly about having to have the opportunity to, to learn something new, to do something different, you know, to add another string to his bow. That's the exact phrase that he used. And, um, you know, if you've got 11 players, 10 other players like that on on, on the roster who are willing to do that, then it's only going to enhance the, the national team down the road because those kids are going to learn. They're going to develop. They're going to accentuate their game under that kind of tutelage. And hopefully go on to progress and have really, really good football careers, which ultimately is what what everyone wants, isn't it?
0: One thing, perhaps, that has been a bit of a trend in uh, Philippine football, unfortunately, has been a lot of change, you know? It's been difficult for for fans to to get around uh, a lot of continuity, whether it's in the league or the national team, in terms of, you know, who's in charge and, and what to expect, the, the composition of the team. But it seems as if, you know, over the last year or so that we are starting to see not only uh, a bit of continuity, but foundations being laid down for um, a bigger sort of perspective, a bigger um, plan down the road. So, I, I mean, we're, we're over an hour here. Of course, we want to be very respectful <laughs> of your time, Scott. But, you know, how do you foresee things going down the road? And is, is the Philippines going to be central to your future for, for, the, for the coming years?
2: Well, well, yes, it is because, I mean, there's, it's, there's a lot of things I still need To uh, achieve and and move on and at the same time you know a coach now at any club or national team's got a lifespan it's not going to last forever Um, but you like to think you can put the groundwork in and get them to a a place where it can be uh, the work can be continued and so for me the foreseeable futures of course it's here and as a national as a national team coach you, you you need four, five, six years to to be really judged on your work in any case because what Chris said if this was a club team we'd be two or three weeks into pre-season that's not enough time to get your systems into place or your environment but we are there we've got a nice strong environment we've got a nice culture there's a system of play that the players know know how to adapt it they've got a good idea of set pieces they know a good idea what I don't like on and off the field. And then you know, and there's an environment to, to that and the ADT players in a similar way. And so we're we're building something. I feel that we're in a, a good position. We're in a good position in the World Cup group. Um, the last game against Syria was unfortunate lost, but actually we- really well in the second half. And there's much more for us to do. You know, we've got to try and win a Suzuki Cup. We've got to get back to the Asian Cup and get through the group. We've got to try to move on to the second phase of World Cup qualification. So, you know, if, um if we don't get to those um, milestones, if we don't get to those targets, then maybe it's a time that, you know, the association wants to take a look at, the federation wants to take a look at me and say, is he right? But as it seems right now, I think we've got a good understanding players staff and fans and uh, media too for that matter and so i feel well we're going in the right direction long may continue and so for me it's just about uh, delivering you know it comes down to just delivering delivering new players younger players developed into the national team identifying players that really want to play for us keeping the squad moving forward and keeping our eyes on everything and so long-term future for me is here at the same time i'm not naive i know there's a Lifespan on on all coaches, but I'd like to. By the time I'm, my my days come to an end, here, I would like to look. Would look back upon as as the best tenure that's that there's been. Because if that's the case, Philippine football is in the best position it ever will be, from uh, to this point.
0: It's well said. Yeah. You know, there's a, it definitely feels like, you know, there's something brewing. There's something to be excited about. We're reaching new heights. And uh, the beautiful thing that uh, that, that I see uh, personally is that it's not enough. You know, it's not enough for you and it's not enough for the players. And uh, they're seeing that there's so much more that, that, that lies in store. And, you know, as a, as a, as a person uh, who is involved in the football community and is a fan of the national team and how things are transpiring, you know, it's, it, it brings nothing but excitement, you know, that the, it to challenge what is capable um, within the the realm of Philippine football, which not too long ago was, you know, just trying not to get whooped was, uh, was uh, the goal, you know, and now we're trying to, to reach into the Asian cup and trying to be one of the, uh, the best in Asia. So, you know, it's, Thank you for the time I appreciate you having the, the, the moment to speak with us here and to give us um, uh, such access to your your mindset and and uh, what you feel is in store for the game
2: yeah I mean like Chris said earlier I, I'm not really one for interviews you <laughs> know's that I mean Chris knows me personally really well he's you know he's he's a humble guy he's been around me he's helped me a lot he's done a lot of work with me and a lot of things we've built has been on the back of his work too so he knows I'm not I'm not a guy that appears on the media or tries to do too much or want to do too much, but I feel it's important that like, to reach out and explain myself at times, and and you know this with people that have obviously got football at heart here in Philippines, it's the best way to do it. So I appreciate you for having me on the show. And, you know, honestly, anytime.
1: No, I really appreciate that, Scott. It's 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 always a, a nice to to get your perspective on things, like I, as as a. Someone who worked with you, it was always nice for me to hear how you force, would foresee the your, your plans taking shape and how things would develop. And I, I really wanted to get you on the show because I wanted everyone else to be privy to that kind of insight because it's it's you know, when you sit at dinner or you have a conversation over breakfast, you know, these are conversations that only you and I would have. And sometimes I, I, I would often, you know, be sat there thinking, I wish everyone knew this about your mindset or how you were trying to I- implement certain things, because I think it then gives the general football public a little bit more of an understanding of yeah. um, of how you like to operate and, and your thoughts and your plans. So now I think you were really, really insightful and, and I'm, I'm pleased that you got a lot of your messages across that you, you would try to relate to me as a coach, or relate to the players, and hopefully the, the general football fan who, who watches this or listens to this will will you know take note because there's there's a lot of really positive things that you're looking to implement, a lot more exciting plans that are, that are hopefully going to be able to to come to fruition in, in the upcoming months and years. And um, no, I think it's a really exciting time for Philippine football. So hope hopefully you can continue your good work and and, and keep that momentum going. Cheers, Chris. Thank you, mate. Cheers.
0: That's it. Thanks a lot, Scott. If you enjoyed this interview, please do subscribe to the show on YouTube, Spotify, and on Apple Podcasts. Look for us on social media so you are always in the loop on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter. That's it, folks. Enjoy the rest of your Football Friday.